That is hometown.com, and this is the Hometown Daily News Show for October 13th, 2022. We're heading over towards Halloween, and it's um, October, so I've got spooky music continuing to play. What is Hometown? It's a news aggregator. What does it do? Aggregates news. (laughs) Uh, Throws it into six main categories. Create news, education, entertainment, social, and technology. And I talk about the news from the perspective of business, technology, and society. The crossroads, if you will. You may not. So, if you are interested in this kind of thing and you've stumbled into my channel, thanks for hanging out with me. If you are oh so motivated to hang out. I, uh, throughout the day, select a few articles... Sometimes not throughout the day, but I filter through sometimes 50, 60, 70 pages worth of news from the front page of hometown.com. I'm working on getting an activity feed that is real time, constantly flowing. You'll be able to go into all of these. It actually kind of exists already, but. My custom code broke things. At any rate, let's get into today's articles. They run the full range of things from business, technology, and society, and all of these little categories. And under those categories, there are channels. Each one of those channels I intend to bring to Twitch really depends on how motivated somebody might be to be a host or co-host. I can't do everything. It would be an untenable position, but I am ambitious enough to try. So. Let's see what happens, right? So this coming January, I'll launch three more channels. You'll get to find out as time progresses towards its launch. But I will hint at one being VR based. That's the Reality Hacker channel that will focus on VR. This article is Bone Lab made 1 million in first hour on Quest, setting record as fastest selling game on platform. At its annual Connect developer conference this week, Meta revealed that Stress Level Zero's Quest 2 game, Bone Lab, made its first 1 million in revenue less than an hour after launch, making it the fastest selling app in Quest history. As people adopt the technology, that will probably get blown away as time goes on. I don't know about the Quest, but I think general PC, VR, and AR. Um, yeah, I, I I would have to say that it, it's not really bound by the Quest, but PC, VR in general. I really don't like siloed, protected kind of apps from developers. Um... I mean, I understand motivations. (laughs) Believe me, I understand business motivations too. And making money is great. But I really wish developers that start out and... Well, I don't know how to, to say this, but to each their own, really. Whatever your motivation is. But man, I just feel like it's... When a ton of money is thrown at something so that it is put into a walled garden... And I'm not saying that uh, Bone Lab is, okay? Because 
well, it was designed for quest. Where it all ends up, I'm not going to say. But at any rate, my, my point is that there are some games that are purchased by a company, right? So Sony will just make it so that um, a game will only be available on their platform. Microsoft will do the same thing. And, you know, it's an exclusive. And then at the same breath, we'll say it's anti-competitive to say by another company, hey, <laughs> you're not allowed to do this on our platform or whatever. And it's all really about who has the money to throw out at somebody and have them offer it up as an exclusive as if that isn't anti-competitive. But I guess whoever buys the app it's competitive because people are throwing money around at each other and the consumer still pays the price ultimately. So I wish that developers would just release to as many places as possible, but getting a lot of money real quick certainly does motivate people to just sign on the dotted line and make it happen, you know, for that one company first. And then maybe later on, six months, a year, two years down the line, they'll release it again. So if um, you're in my chat or you find out about this later on, if you come over to uh, Omtown over on Twitch, you'll be able to just do exclamation point S and a title. Um, or if you type in Showbot, it'll tell you where you can go, which is to hometown.showbot.tv, and you can vote on the favorite, your favorite article, something that you might want me to focus on, and we can talk about at a later show. Um, this one in particular has been already added to Showbot, so you can vote it up if you are interested in it. But we have to go over to Road to VR, where the article is Bone Lab made 1 million in first hour on Quest, setting record as fastest selling game on platform. Scott Hayden is the author of this, and I find it really interesting. Uh, you know, uh, the, the people that I interact with regularly um, kind of sometimes poo poo the whole idea of VR uh, and aren't so bullish even about AR. I'm pretty bullish about both. I think that AR has the easiest adoption with the public, the general population in mind, because it's frictionless. You put them on, it works with your phone or it works uh, within itself and has the ability to interact with QR codes and beacons and whatever else and internet and, uh, exchange data and let you know where to go and what to buy if you're interested and if we can look past it who somebody might be if they're in your contact list and populate it with some information like their birthday and what their favorite color is and maybe their dog's name or whatever personal information is available that was presented by them which is why i'm really interested in a thing called diaspora which was a social distributed social network that kind of rose to fame uh, amongst those of us who were interested in social networks that weren't bound by a company and you could provide whatever information you wanted right so if you had ar glasses on you could actually walk around somewhere walk into a shop and it can have a qr code and 
they provide information. Well, if you meet somebody in that shop and they have, or I should say the glasses allow you to do facial recognition, it could pull up their diaspora account and you're in control of your information. Not just some weird, you know, stalkerish kind of a thing. It's you providing your information, not necessarily from a particular solution like Facebook or whatever. Although that's certainly doable. Kind of neat, right? Well, VR kind of closes the door on all of that so that you're inside a, a specially made room and environment. In this case, it's Bone Lab. And a larger information dump meta has also revealed that there are fewer games were raring to compete against Bone Lab. In its first 24 hours, Armature Studios VR refresh of classic horror shooter Resident Evil 4 broke 2 million in revenue on Quest. That's in its first 24 hours. Ramen VR broke the 1 million revenue mark in Quest in just 24 hours for its MMORPG Zenith, The Last City. I was really excited about that, but I sold my index before it launched and um, I'm waiting for a Pico 4. And uh, But I already have battery packs sitting right there ready to go because the Pico has a three hour battery life. But it's hot swappable, so as long as you do it fast enough, ba-boom, you could just swap out batteries and off you go. Turning my three hour Pico into a nine hour Pico, arguably. There are some issues with maybe performance is a little overestimated, a little irrational exuberance when it comes to VR. Warp Frog's Blade and Sorcery Nomad from 2021. Uh, it's a, the Quest 2 adaptation of its PC VR title, which was, I think it's just called Blade and Sorcery, made its first million in just two days. So, I mean, there's a lot of people out there with VR headsets. Um, make it frictionless, make it powerful, and you will get adoption. Um, certainly wireless. Wireless, uh, if you release anything with cables now, you might as well just call it quits. You are so far away from the uh, <laughs> mindset of the consumer that you can pretty much just go, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. Now, you can do that. You can have an umbilical if what you're doing is pushing the edge of the technology where that technology is demonstrably impossible to provide without the umbilical. But we've seen that we can do 4K, 8K, 4K for sure. We'll get it. I like this dun 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 this kind of scary music playing in the background. Hopefully you can hear it, but I can hear it. So I don't know though, if it's translating well into the stream anyway, um, as a sandbox game designed from the ground up for quest bone lab was uniquely positioned to give standalone headset users their first taste of the engine behind a host of memes. Deadpool swinging around with, Spider-Man skills, 360 no-scoping, an innocent in NPC into oblivion. This will be a fun game to play once I get my Pico. Let's move on to the next article. 
this next article is in the Warcrafters channel, which is about first-person RTS and, and RPG uh, gaming. N decidedly not on the VR side of things. So I like to silo the, the topics because not everybody is interested in a broad mishmash. Although the hometown daily news show is a more holistic look at the news over the last 24 hours. Um, I've got silos for particular articles because hometown was created so that I could deal with information overload in a way that was uh, better for me. And then I shared it with some people and they thought that it was cool. And I opened it up to everybody. Um, that said, Undecember is a new hardcore hack and slash ARPG coming October 12th. Huh. That was yesterday. Um, or two days ago, depending on where you are. Uh, one of the most interesting upcoming hack and slash RPGs you may not have heard about is Undecember, a dark fantasy game on PC. It has a wide variety of options for playstyle customization, the choice of several different types of content to grind and play through, and an impressive presentation consisting of dazzling visual effects, high texture or high quality textures, and stylish animations. When I first saw this, I thought that this was going to be a great game. Um, so, this says that it was a sponsored publication. So, um, kind of an advertisement. So everything that I've seen about this is it's kind of Diablo-esque. Uh, to me, the resolution of it was high. Um, I liked the idea of it. I haven't played it yet, but I probably will end up getting it. Um, the, the play style seems to be Diablo-esque without the Diablo-esque, you know? Um, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go for it. It says, regardless of which type of activity you choose to play through the most, you can enhance your experience with uh, the game by joining a guild. Guilds in December can have up to 50 members and uh, being in one unlocks exclusive benefits such as guild buffs. And December is also worth checking out if you love quality graphics. The world of Trom is Dark and foreboding, yet also varied and colorful, making it stand out compared to other exceedingly grim, dark fantasy worlds. Yeah, I'll end up getting this. Go and check it out. And remember, go over to PCGamer.com. That's where this was originally uh, sourced from. Um, the next article is in the Stock Marketeers channel. I need to do something real quick. I'm sorry. Um... Uh, it's a market snapshot. It comes from marketwatch.com. And there is no way. Okay, sorry. Um, the U.S. stock market futures advanced Thursday ahead of uh, the week's big event, the release of inflation data. This article came down before uh, the inflation data was launched, but in market watch form, they modified their um title but not modified their url so as you can see it was initially retrieved at 306 but then they updated it at 520. um but that's weird sorry it was initially released at 520 a.m and then updated at 306. um and the way that it works was the market was still trading up until 430 naturally well the dow ended up and i might as well get into today's numbers 
Um, the Dow ended up, um, <laughs> wow, sorry, it was 830 um, the, at around 430. Um, and now they're posting the Dow and S&P futures. So I'd have to go back um, and retrieve them. But it actually declined. Same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin slumped to around 1,800, uh, 18,000, sorry, 18,300, and then climbed back up to where it is right now, which is 19,467. Again, Bitcoin is pegged to the U.S. economy, primarily the stock market and uh, the U.S. dollar. And so which way one goes, the well, Bitcoin will follow. So the um, national average of gas here in the United States, I can't speak about others. Uh, some of my news is global in nature. Um, anyway, national gas is uh, $3.91, which basically dropped mm, something like eight cents or not eight cents, 0 0.008. Um, that said, Isabel Wang and William Watts is the author of this, no relation to Mayor Watt. And uh, this is from Market Watch, but they talk about Dow is nearly up 950 points in final hour as, or of trade as stocks erase plunge seen in wake of hot inflation reading. That wasn't the original title. U.S. stock market futures advance ahead of CPI release. That's what it was. But then the CPI was released and it's largely flat. Except, we'll get into this in another article. There's this deduction as to what it is that was driving the markets. It says stocks indexes, stocks indexes bounced. The dollar gave back gains versus most major currencies and treasury yields pulled back from highs after moving sharply in the other direction in the wake of a higher than expected reading of the September consumer price index. The consumer price index, if you don't know, is basically uh, an assessment of various products that are purchased and while the CPI basically was idle. So in August, it was 296.171. In September, it's 296.808, largely flat. But, <laughs> there's a big but there. The same thing has happened with the producer price index, which I think is the leading indicator to the CPI um, the consumer price index and these producers are the ones that are leading the charge as to what prices are going to be and what inflation is. Um, there's a lot of money that's still in the system and it's not being recovered because it's all being gathered by the ultra rich. Well, the August numbers for the producer price index, which are the ones that are making all of the core products. And then it goes out to retailers that take those raw materials turn it into products and then that goes to resell retailers and those retailers sell it to the consumers well the producer price index was 269.585 so there's a period in there a decimal point sorry uh 269.585 and then the september number is 269.294 why is this important to have on your mind? We'll get to that here in a minute. Just remember, the CPI and the PPI 
are flat. Um, so it says crucial data points, including CPI and non-farm payroll, uh, have tended to see sharp knee-jerk reactions, uh, noted Art Hogan, chief market strategist at B. Riley Wealth Management. If there is one thing that most people should understand is that the ultra-rich get information a whole lot faster than the common Joes. If you're sitting there with your Robinhood account thinking that you're going to be filthy rich, unless you have some other way of seeing tea leaves, you're going to be behind the times. Um, yet you can make a ton of money, you know, day trading, doing Robinhood as a form of day trading. Um, it says the, there was an additional panic in the markets, but it demonstrates that they're going to see a higher interest rate environment than perhaps some expected, said Chris Campbell, chief policy strategist at Kroll via telephone. And they go into greater detail about this, right? So the September consumer price index came in at 8.2, down from 8.3. No. Um, the consumer price index climbed a little bit, but it's flat. Just keep it in mind, it's flat. So it says 0.6 versus 0.4. That's more on target. The increase at the core overall uh, rate for the past year climbed to a new peak of 6.6 from 6.3 marking the biggest that and here's the the number marking the biggest gain in 40 years so things are going to get more expensive for y'all for everybody for all of us but it's the middle class and lower that and i'm talking about socioeconomic status that is going to foot the bill for what amounts to a consolidation of wealth. Now, a whole lot of people have said to me over the many, many years that I've been talking about this stuff, well, I think I can win the game. No, you can't. <laughs> you can win your form of it. In business, we call it a lifestyle business. It's something that keeps you happy and, and keeps you financially capable of supporting yourself without being winded by hard work. Maybe it's hard work in, included in that, but for the most part, no. You're not going to be living the lifestyle that allows you to sock away $10 million in a personal life insurance policy that gets treated as premiums and you can get fantastic medical coverage you don't have to pay taxes and when you ultimately do die and you pass it on to your family and it's all tax-free yeah that's what the ultra rich do and you should based on the financial advisor that said this you should have 10 million dollars for this one instrument yeah, you don't have that kind of money do you We'll get into more of this as we go through the news. Um, I like to bounce things around, kind of keep us on our toes. Uh, but that's how the news actually came in. So you'll see that it, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of articles as I go through. The next article is over in the uh, Word in Tech. And if you've spent any time around Microsoft, you will realize that if it is a service, its name is going to change. I, ha I actually use one service that changed its name 
five times in four years. Well, in this one, it's Microsoft Office will soon become Microsoft 365 in major brand overhaul, although I think most people either refer to it as Office 365 or just 365. So this isn't really a brand overhaul as much as accepting the fate of the public's interpretation of what Office 365 is. Microsoft is making a major change to its Microsoft Office branding. After more than 30 years, Microsoft Office is being renamed Microsoft 365 to mark the giant's collection of growing productivity apps, while Office's, uh, sorry, Office apps like Excel, Outlook, Word, and PowerPoint aren't going away. Microsoft will now mostly refer to these apps as part of Microsoft 365 instead of Microsoft Office, which, <laughs> well, the whole industry that uses this, right? The entire business ecosystem, uh, which is basically battling between free services from Google, which isn't really free, um, to Office slash 365, which also isn't free. And um, pulling out the identity of Office is going to mean people are going to go, well, what do I get? I, I still need to buy Word or get 365, and all I'm going to use is Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook. Outlook is just mail. I'd say most people are using Gmail. I would love to refire my anti-spam mail service. If there's a software developer out there that would like to reinvigorate this project that it wasn't a project. It was a business that launched and was in existence for five years and provided enterprise and end user services. Um, I'd be happy to entertain this uh, refiring of the engine for my anti-spam mail system. Oh, you'll love it. Believe me, you'll love it. So Microsoft has been pushing this new branding for years after renaming Office 365 subscriptions to Office 365 two years ago, or Microsoft 365 two years ago. But the changes go far deeper now. Office.com will change. To what extent? If you've not gone to TheVerge.com for a while, go over to TheVerge.com. Uh, I really dig their new uh, makeover. Tom Warren over at TheVerge.com um, wrote this article. And um, I think everything is going to change a little bit, but it's all going to be on the surface, changing from Office 365 subscriptions to just Microsoft 365. That really is what everybody has called Office um, for the most part. Sometimes us old folk refer to it as Office. Now it'll just be 365 and everybody will just slowly migrate over to it. Apparently it'll get a new look a little bit. Microsoft 365 will now be home to Teams, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Loop, ClipChamp, which Loop and ClipChamp, I, I don't know. Stream still exists. Microsoft uh, new designer app. 
A central Microsoft 365 app for both mobile and desktop will include a feed of relevant colleagues and meetings, a hub for all of your files and documents, and custom tagging to group and organize content. So, time to get back in the loop, those of you who have taken everything for granted. <laughs> uh, times they are a changing in terms of engagement with these tools. Uh, things are going to look a little bit different and it's going to throw people. So all of you in IT and your companies, get ready for some questions to show up. Ticket systems are going to get busy. Let's move on to the next article. Raise corporate taxes, not interest rates, to protect working families. Instead of relying on job-killing interest rate hikes, policymakers should address the problem of price gouging. I agree. This is what I was talking about. So the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and the PPI, the Producer Price Index, is actually just kind of a warning shot to various bodies. So the, produce, the Producer Price Index is going to go up because the producers that precede them, which is basically gas, oil, they're going to charge more which means the producer price index is going to go up, which means that everything that knocks on from there, including every single consumer product, is going to increase more than each knock-on percentage. So if the oil producers, gas producers raise their fee for whatever that raw material is that is produced from their raw material, right? If it raises 5%, you can knock on the fact that the next person is going to charge 7% and the next person is going to charge 9%. And at some point, there is a resistance point, but the profits are going to come more so at the initial producers and maybe the next step of producer. More and more financial friction is born from each strata moving up to the consumer who ultimately pays the price, both in the cost of goods and the taxes. And while the regular consumer pays somewhere around 25% of their salary in taxes, and then they pay another whatever the amount is at the state level, companies are not paying 25%. They're not paying 10%. They're barely paying 5%. They're paying somewhere between 1% and 5%. I'm sure I could gather up a bunch of data about it, but we've all read, heard, talked to people, and maybe even consulted with companies that brag about that. So raise corporate taxes. That's what Sarah Barron over at commondreams.org says. And I'll always do this caveat. I don't always believe everything or follow everything that common dream says but in this case general mills hiked its prices five times since june of 2021 alone and the company saw its net earnings climb 31 percent to 820 million in the first quarter of the 2023 fiscal year which is starting right now 
Garden Restaurants, the company which owns popular chains such as Olive Garden and Longhorn Steakhouse, saw its net sales increase by $140 million to $2.4 billion in the first quarter of fiscal year 2023. Mind you, you're, we're coming out of a pandemic, a, a pandemic where there was all kinds of job losses and people weren't getting paid. Yet these companies, and these are the these are different companies than the ones that had record profits during the pandemic, which were the oil and gas companies. Record profits, and many other companies had record profits during the pandemic, when supposedly everybody was losing their jobs, not traveling anywhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Because it's energy, and that leads to all of the other stuff. As AutoZone saw record sales growth over the past two years, with net income increasing to $810 million, their CEO admitted the company is not racing to lower prices. Instead, they boosted their shareholder handouts by $1 billion on stock buybacks during the quarter, bringing their total to $4.4 billion during fiscal year 2022. This is what I was talking about previously, and the fact that what is happening is wealth is being generated up at the top. Sure, it's going to shareholders, but there are stakeholders as well. And as we know from the research paper that showed up in March of this year and has been talked about periodically since then, and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, um, I talked about it way at the back too, but I, I don't document that kind of stuff. But um, we've talked about the fact that when an MBA rolls into some enterprise, it suppresses wages and consolidates the power, the wealth, at the C-suite and shareholders. But it isn't all shareholders that get the same level. It's the, the, the ones that have the most get the most. That's how it works. Particularly with dividends. The more you own, the more dividends you get. Meanwhile, the people that actually make it happen, the workers, get a fraction of a raise, maybe, or no raise. So over the past several months, the Federal Reserve has taken drastic measures in an attempt to curb inflation, but rate hikes carry tremendous downside and won't address a key cause of recent inflation. Instead of just relying on Fed officials, who have made it clear that they will drive the economy into a recession to get inflation down. Policymakers should attack the problem head on in a way that protects working American jobs. Big corporations with the Republicans who enable them must be able or must be held accountable for their pri price gouging. Huh. All kinds of stuff should be happening. Stop insider trading, the Stock Act. That should still have teeth, but it doesn't. Instead, it's more like a hand. Beyond the Inflation Reduction Act, congressional Democrats have introduced several additional bills that would help curb corporate price gouging. Some examples include the Price Gouging Prevention Act, Big Oil Windfall Profits Tax Act. Just tax them. All of these acts, just tax them how they're supposed to be taxed. But there's all this internal... Uh, tax machinations that allow them to manipulate and twist and then offshore it and just keep screwing around. Take from the public 
but give nothing back. And we are a society, not a corporation. And again, let me just remind everybody who might stumble across this podcast and and stream and YouTube. I am a capitalist. I believe in charging for things, but I guess I'm just an ethical one, which tends to throw people for a loop. I'll make back a responsible and reasonable profit. I don't need to charge $1,500 for a VR headset that I can get the equal solution to for $499, including tax and shipping to my door. This next article is talking about exactly that. This article and and the statement from Zuckerberg basically amounts to, well, everybody else is doing it. Mark Zuckerberg said Apple charges as much as it can. It's so whiny as much as it can for hardware in an interview with uh, what Stratacherry's Ben uh, Thompson. He said his VR headsets are priced at the break even point or even a loss for Meta. Have they looked at the Pico? He hopes the price point will encourage more people to buy into the metaverse. No, no, they won't. Mark Zuckerberg is not afraid to call out his big tech competitors, particularly Apple. You mean the vertical Apple? Zuckerberg has even been in deep philosophical competition with Apple since he announced his bid for the metaverse last year. You will never own the metaverse, you kook. On Tuesday in a podcast interview with uh, Stratecheries, like strategy, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't listen to that podcast. I guess I'll have to. Uh, Ben Thompson. Zuckerberg took another dig at the company's rival, this time for profiteering off hardware. You're out of your mind. Lakshmi Varanasi is the author. Here's Mark Zuckerberg in a picture after saying, you thought I was human? (laughs) Ha ha. He said his VR headset are priced at break even. Again, look at the Pico. It's less than $500 and it has higher resolution. Based on what I've read, longer battery life. The only thing it doesn't do is have cameras looking back inside the the faceplate so that it can, I don't know, reproduce what you look like so that Zuckerberg has some perspective of what a human should act like. Is that, would that be defined as vitriol? I don't know. Zuckerberg has been in deep philosophical competition with Apple since he announced his bid for the metaverse last year on Tuesday in that podcast. He said that it was profiteering off of hardware. It's typical people build hardware and they try to make a profit off of it. Where if you're Apple, you build hardware and you charge as much as you can for it. You know why? That's because they are every single aspect of their equipment. They have a proprietary processor. They make their own case. They make their own motherboard. They micronize all of the tech for it. They don't reach out to other people and 
and say, hey, mass produce this for me, except wherein it's their design saying, hey, do this, we'll pay you. Thank you very much. We don't have the fab. Apple is going to move towards that where they are the ones that are the fab. Why? Because they are a vertical. You cannot compare the full PC markets uh, ecosystem to Apple, but we always do. Apple is a vertical. It's one of the reasons why it drives me nuts when people say that Apple's being anti-competitive. No, Apple is providing a means for, for people to sell their product in the Apple ecosystem. It is a vertical. It just happens to open the door. So Zuckerberg sitting there saying, you know, it's typical people build hardware and they try to make a profit off of it, where if you're Apple, you build hardware and charge as much as you can. No, they are charging a profit off of it. Plain and simple. And they do everything in the chain for their product. He said it's taking a different route. Zuckerberg is doing a different route. Zuckerberg said that uh, he thinks that having someone come into the space and basically say, we're going to build the best hardware in the space and we're going to basically sell it at a break-even point and in some cases. What are you even talking about? 1500 bucks for the Quest Pro when you look at the specs just doesn't rise to it. He said he eventually plans to unveil a Quest 3 priced at 300 to $500. Oh, like the Pico. Zuckerberg contended that Meta's goal is to include as many par participants in the metaverse as possible. That falls into the no shit news. Let's move on. So the next article is related to politics. It's in the Mobile Channel. These four countries cited with Russia in the UN vote on Ukraine annexation said, hey, uh, 194 or no, sorry, a 193 member body voted 143 in favor of the resolution criticizing Russia's illegal so-called referendums with 35 abstaining, but four opposing Syria, North Korea, Belarus, and Nicaragua. Uh, earlier this year, Eritrea was the other participant instead of Nicaragua in the opposing votes, but Syria, eh, I don't know. North Korea, totally understand. Belarus, pretty much understand. N Nicaragua, I don't know. Maybe there was, I don't know why, why anybody would agree with Russia. Unless they agree that might means right, so you can go charging in and take over land. Now, if you want to sit there and call somebody hypocrites and whatever else, because X did it previously, go ahead. But you can't stop the fact, or you can't, you can't say, oh, well, get in your time machine and rectify that. Julia Mueller over at The Hill is the author of this article. The opposition club is nearly the same as the five votes in March against resolution condemning uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Syria, North Korea, Belarus joined Russia both times. Eritrea voted condemning the invasion back in March, while Nicaragua voted against condemning the annexation Wednesday. I'm curious why they flip-flopped. Uh, 
The now passed resolution calls on the UN ambassador states, or sorry, the UN's member states, not to recognize Russia's annexation move and calls for Russia to rescind its claims over the Ukrainian land. And even if they don't, Ukraine should be defending its territory, its rightful geo geopolitical borders. Mind you, these are geopolitical borders. There were lines drawn in the sand, and there you have it. You know, the same thing happened in Africa. The same thing happened across Europe. The same thing happened across the Middle East. It's geopolitical borders arbitrarily put up through one argument or another or fight or whatever. You don't look like me, so I'm going to take your land. The U.S. and its allies work together to gather support ahead of the resolution vote, hoping to get at least as many ballots in favor as the 100 that backed a 2014 resolution against Russia's annexation of Crimea. Well, let's see how far that went. Oh, it didn't go very far. Why? We're afraid of nukes. And U.S. is the only one that actually did that. Let's hope nobody else is dumb enough to do it. Let's move on to the next article. Oh. Um, this next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. And it is CD Projekt is helping Stadia players rescue their save files from annihilation because Google, Google decided, Google, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time talking. Google decided that they were going to pull the plug or rug out from under Stadia left its users and developers alike scrambling to respond. Google is offering refunds on Stadia hardware and software purchases, which is definitely a good move, but it's not much help for people who own a game on Stadia and want to keep playing it somewhere else. Ubisoft, IO Interactive, Bungie, and Tequila Works have all said that they're working um, to find uh, solutions for their players. CD Projekt said that they're gonna be moving people for 2077. Cyberpunk 2077. The first half of the process is basically a rundown of how to use Google Takeout, a tool that enables users to export the data in their Google accounts in order to help uh, back it up to an external service. So there are actually instructions both in the article that's on Ometown, but if you follow the link, it'll take you over to PC Gamer and Andy Chalk has a better representation of it because my aggregator doesn't clone what is written. Um, it doesn't present it the way that it's presented on the website because it's not given or provided to my gatherer engine um, the same way. And just keep in mind, it's not uh, a screen scrape or anything like that. It's This is something that's provided by websites. Anyway, um, you can go over there and follow the instructions and um, literally take out your um, Stadia data set. So it says once you've done the steps, you'll want to extract the archive and then navigate to the Stadia game save. And the files for each saved game will be uh, in their own individual archives. And then hopefully you'll be able to pull them out. And it actually says that's exactly what you do. You just copy them into the local location um, instead of Stadia. So 
Uh, I don't know who all has already received their money from the Stadia shutdown. But there you have it. Okay. So let's move on to the next article. And this one's in the Word and Tech. Research sh shows social spiders have different ways of hunting in groups. I only thought that this was interesting because I've never heard of a social spider. And I figured it was really interesting. So... A new research has identified how social spiders evolved different ways of hunting in groups. I never want to see this. <laughs> um, University of Portsmouth. A new research has identified how social spiders evolved different ways of hunting in groups. Now, spiders are normally solitary creatures, but a few species have evolved to be social and live in groups known as colonies, while these spiders have evolved socially similar behaviors, living in large family groups that share both communal nests and childcare duties. The findings suggest environmental conditions may have shaped how species develop different strategies for cooperating in hunting. Well, I kind of would assume that with you know, the evolutionary process, different social spiders or spiders in general develop different techniques. Sometimes a spider will do a trap door. Sometimes they'll build like a net, not a nest, a net, and just reach down and grab insects as they fly by. I mean, it's just amazing what's out there. The African social velvet spider was quite shy with very few spiders attacking prey irrespective of its size slow to attack and rejected a high proportion of prey the indian cooperative spider attacked prey irrespective of its size with large numbers of spiders but more spiders attacked when prey was small while the african social spider it's actually called that preferred medium-sized prey more spiders engaged in the attack of small prey and fewer spiders attacked larger prey sounds like bullies and humans maybe that's why I called bullies insects bugs pests come on bullies are these bullies spiders are these spiders bullies I don't know study led uh, sorry study lead author dr. Lena Grinstead senior lecturer of zoology in the School of Biological Sciences at the University of Portsmouth says that when spiders become social, they all end up extremely becoming extremely inbred. Yeah, back to bullets. Um, they start caring for each other's babies and they hunt and feed together. What's new in this study is that despite their general similarities, we found there is not just one way of being a social spider. Are you a social spider? You could be a social spider for Halloween. How about that? Is that going to be like the most amazing costume for Halloween? The social spider? It could be like a Facebook branded spider. Social spider. Anyway. Let's keep going with the news. The next article is uh, Lufthansa awkwardly abandons AirTag ban after baffling faceplant. Um, this one was interesting to read because I had already read about Lufthansa saying no more AirTags, that they were taking them away from what I heard. Um, it was a strange fate that Lufthansa and its customers uh, should suffer so much fear and doubt about something so small as an Apple AirTag, but suffer they did because German airline Lufthansa 
uh, seemingly misreading an international civil aviation or organization regulation uh, positioned itself this week as the only major airline banning people from tracking their checked luggage with air tags by the way most people interpreted this as hey we found out that our equipment was ending up in a warehouse somewhere or somebody's apartment somewhere or in an office somewhere uh, because we have air tags and suddenly hey let's get rid of air tags so it made <laughs> it looked a little sus anyway a representative for the company tweeted saturday that it was banning activated air tags following up sunday that it was concerned the tiny cr2032 coin batteries and bluetooth low energy transmitters in apple yeah, sorry in apple's uh, tracking devices could be considered dangerous goods under ICAO rules. The outcry, close reading of the relevant sections of ICAO guidelines and accusations of ulterior motives immediately followed. An Apple insider noted that the regulations are meant for lithium ion batteries that could be accidentally activated. AirTag batteries are not lithium ion, are encased. And are commonly used in watches so activated i suppose is the term for exposing itself i'm not sure um well after confusing after a confusing unilateral ban lufthansa allows air tag trackers once again kevin purdy is the author over at rs technica and um and this is why it's because people are losing their damn luggage and their mind in the process because if i lost all of my stuff and i've had stuff lost let me tell you it doesn't end well for anybody i i was like what the hell well in a couple of cases it was somebody damaged my bag in one case they ran completely over it destroying it and then they kind of gave me this little half-hearted bag sort of thing saying that well your bag was destroyed because it was so crappy they gave me an equally crappy solution i suppose and in the process they broke a couple of things and lost a couple of things but it wasn't worth the breath to go after it so nu numerous people pointed out that lufthansa in its online world shop sells apple air tags one r staffer noted that lufthansa had previously dabbled in selling a smart luggage tag one that specifically used RFID and BLE, uh, Bluetooth Low Energy, uh, to program an e-ink display with flight information. Hey, man, it's amazing. But I guess if you can't do it right, don't allow anybody. Take your bat and ball and go home. That's what it amounts to. Let's move on to the next article. Um, the next article is in the margin. It's actually aggregated into pardon me, um, the Stock Marketeers channel. And this one was really interesting because I first heard about these particular genes when they were discovered. Um, and I said, then, wow, somebody's going to be making a mint off of these things. Well, here's how much 1880s Levi's jeans just sold for at an auction. And can you wear them? You can, you can wear anything properly i don't know um rachel koenig i'm sorry rachel koning beals 
Uh, says here, gavel price is likely the highest ever paid for vintage jeans. This pair was excavated from a New Mexico mine by a denim archaeologist and offers a snapshot of 19th century racism. A pair of Levi Strauss jeans from the 1880s, naturally worn with dirt and candle wax in a way that modern distressing can only try to mimic, just sold for arguably the highest priced ever. In a vintage denim auction. Kyle Hopert, a 23-year-old vintage clothing dealer from San Diego, bought the pants for $76,000, just reminding me that I have made some horrible life choices. At an auction on October 1st, the Wall Street Journal reported this uh, week. Hopert put up 90% of the winning bid, while the remaining 10% came from Zip Stevenson. That's right, who's been behind the Los Angeles shop Denim Doctor since 1994. That's interesting. Why only 10%? Anyway, the Levi's uh, will find a new life or a preserved spot in a collection after they've been, uh, after they were recovered a few years ago from an old mine in New Mexico by a seasoned amateur denim archeologist named Michael Harris, who has a track record of finding coveted vintage workers clothes. This, by the way, this, I had read about this when it was discovered. Um, it, it was either these exact items or one so dangerously close that I've got it mixed up. And uh, I want to read one more thing about this article that just made me. It, it's a it's a tweet um, by Sarah Bosworth. This reads like an SNL skit where. Um, all it needs is some punchline and I just can't, I can't get there. I just, I can't get there. This one truly has it all. Zoomers mining for old chore jackets in the desert. A brief history of Levi's anti-Chinese labor policies from the late 19th century. An elder statesman of vintage named Zip. And it just needs a punchline like, and a live action role player named uh, Bucky who thinks that he's a vampire and wants to wear these jeans so that he can pretend to be a miner in the 19th century and drink the blood of I don't know I just can't get there I can't get there kind of fascinating though so, yeah, you can go looking around for them. Uh, it, they look identical to the uh, Levi jeans that you can buy right now. The same rivets, the same denim, the same uh, like uh, placard on the jeans that say what the size of the waist and length is. It's just amazing that Levi's jeans have not changed um, in the nuts and bolts of what makes Levi's Levi's. Um, so anybody that tries to do this with their brand will probably get sued into oblivion because when you see blue jeans with this little branding label there, you know, it's Levi and you're going to be violating somebody's image. That said, the last article for today is in the word in tech and it's, uh, Droughts could leave us without water. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Droughts could leave us without milk, beer, and so much more. Records show that Europe has never been as dry as it is in recent decades. 
God has direct consequences on our lives. That's part of the no shit news, apparently. Um, not least because it threatens basic foodstuffs such as milk. Remember, the cow needs more than 100 liters of water per day to produce milk. And that recently, uh, farms have been closing down because they are unable to compete with macro farms on price. So this is over in the fizz.org website by Fernando Valaderas and The Conversation, which is a podcast. Um, so it says here, records show that Europe has never been as dry as in recent decades. Drought has direct consequences on our lives. Countries such as Spain have been forced to import milk from other nations in Europe, but as Europe is also suffering from severe droughts, it could end up importing from the U.S. and China. Something similar was seen in the Southern Hemisphere summer of, uh, in Argentina and Brazil. Beer provides another striking illustration of the impact uh, of drought. Recently, Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador considered halting beer production in the northern states, which are suffering from severe drought. Monterey is the second most populous city in the country and home to powerful breweries. Beer production requires large amounts of water and in southern, sorry, in no northern Mexico is comprising, is compromising domestic water supplies. Studies indicate the climate change is threatening the brewing industry in several parts of the world. This is like running out of coffee. The world is going to go insane if beer dries up. Um... And there's places in Mexico that make this uh, apparently like a really fresh beer. Uh, I'd have to go. I was reminded of it just now, so I'd have to go and look it up. Anyway, driest years, despite deluges, it all just sheets off. Um, water, when it's really dry, ground doesn't absorb water. And so it just sheets off. Um, it's really horrible. Uh, dry ground so it needs to be broken up so that it can absorb some water and then once it absorbs some water then more water can absorb and the best soil is broken up soil with enough moisture and it just kind of seeps in and it filters down deeper and deeper um, so but that's just not possible a practical exercise in trying to capture as much rain as possible um, so it's just kind of horrible um, as the ground dries up, it just doesn't hold on to water. Um, so Dutch foundations rotting away, so much so that Dutch houses built on wooden stilts are rotting after several droughts. Amsterdam's famous, I can't pronounce that, Rijks Museum has sunk more than 15 centimeters. Like many buildings built before 1970 in the, slow, in the low country, the museum rests on some 8,000 wooden poles as its foundation. And because dry summers lower the ground level water, the posts are exposed and fungi, which need oxygen to survive, rot the foundations. There's going to be some, as climate change occurs, there are going to be some upheavals all around the world. We need to get a beat on this and work together as humans, not just profiteering insects. That said, I'm done for today. Again, this has been... That was funny. There was a sting right when I said that. I'm done for today. Um, I am Mayor Watt. This is Omtown Daily News Show for October 13th, 2022. And that is omtown.com. And that's my new follower goal. 
Come on back tomorrow, 6 p.m. I'll be here for an hour. Maybe longer. Depends on who's chatting in my chat. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.